Well, I invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 7. This is the chapter that contains Stephen's sermon, uh, preached right before he was stoned to death. Um, But, you know, before Easter, we spent a a couple weeks in this chapter, and uh, I think we're going to have a a couple weeks now after that. And I, I do feel the irony of it that here was one sermon that Stephen preached, and yet we're taking several weeks to preach through the one sermon that he preached. However, I, I am encouraged by the fact that um, I have some favorite sermons of mine that I have on MP3, um, CD, whatever, that I have listened to over and over and over and over again. And uh, of any sermon to hear over and over and over again, it's an inspired sermon. It's recorded for us here in, in Acts chapter 7. And if there's any sermon that we need to re- know really, really well, it's uh, an inspired sermon that Stephen preached right here. So to go through it slowly, I have no apologies for that as we take the, the themes that Stephen is really bringing us uh, to bear and that it might impact our hearts. But also one of the things right, we're, we're going through Acts 7 slowly is because it's a difficult sermon. It, most of the sermons in Acts are really straightforward. They just talk about Jesus, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and his exaltation. Just real simple outline almost every single time. Uh, there are some exceptions, but this one does not follow that pattern at all. It is, is much more difficult for us to really understand what he's getting at. It seems like he's just giving a history, but he's giving a history with a, a slant and a motive, as I have spoken about before. Uh, furthermore, we, we weren't there. We weren't part of the culture. I mean, what is it that he spoke that caused the hearers to turn so hard to kill him, even in a matter of minutes afterwards so it takes some time for us to understand the perspective what's going on with the with these jews see it's it's not often a case that a preacher dismounts from the pulpit only to be met by his listeners with the intent to kill him i looked a lot this week trying to find an illustration i thought it'd be a great illustration to open with to have to have somebody right who who preached but was in a persecuted land and as soon as he got down then what there were people ready to shoot him or something and i, I couldn't find any um the, the closest I, I i looked it was jesus when he was in um luke chapter 4 preaching in nazareth and he preached to his hometown and they sought to do the same thing with him that happened to Stephen, they, they, they took him out, tried to throw him off, but he just sort of disappeared from them. Um, but other than that, I, I, I couldn't find anyone in church history. Maybe we'll find someone who parallels Stephen. I'm not sure. But most often what happens in other lands, in persecuted lands, right, particularly in China, I have read, about, about those who are arrested in their places of worship, it's oftentimes maybe after service sometime when, when maybe people have disseminated and and they're they're gone they're just a few left and and rarely are they killed but oftentimes they're taken into custody right just some sometime that evening or maybe that next morning or or sometimes they're they're taken on on the street um and and more often the case rather than being killed in persecuted lands people are often taken and and tortured imprisonment and and hard labor but i i remember this this man pastor uh pastor samuel lamb uh, I remember reading this book probably about a decade ago, and it just talked about uh, this pastor uh, who's a pastor in China, who was a pastor in China, pastoring a prominent group of home churches, and uh, through his influence really had thousands of people attending, attending all these networks of home churches, and some of them were quite large, so when we talk about a home, we're talking about you know kind of the biggest home that they could find, and they'd pack people in there. 
uh, just as tightly as they could and as many as they, they could. And, and since he refused to register all his churches um, with the government, the government heard about it and he was, he was under their surveillance um, as these, these house churches went around in, informally. And, and especially as his church got more and more prominent and he knew that his time was coming, the authorities might well come and take him away. So much so that he kept a small bag uh, with clothes and shoes and a toothbrush near his front door. So that the police, if they arrested him, right, they, they arrest him and they're, they're taking him out. At least he could scoop up his bag before he goes so he can brush his teeth. Kids, maybe you can learn that lesson, right? He wanted to brush his teeth, so he had his toothbrush along the way. And uh, sure enough, the pressure mounted. September 14th, 1955, his church had gathered that Wednesday evening in a home for Bible study and for prayer. Then after his service, right, he hosted some of his friends at his house for for tea, and then at 10 p.m., he writes this on page 40, 43 of this book. It says, Without knocking, a group of people entered, several civilians and two policemen. The strangers began searching the living quarters and took note of Samuel's bundle of belongings. They, they chattered among themselves until two of them, leafing through a photo album, discovered a photograph of Samuel. And the layman, leading the group like another Judas in a subsequent Gethsemane, gestured to Samuel, and instantly handcuffs appeared, and Samuel Lamb was taken away in cuffs. And he would spend 20 years in hard labor, brutal coal mining. That's what he was done. And his ministry simply extended. So his ministry, rather than having a house church, he had a, a coal miner's church where they were all hard laboring away. And uh, of that day when he was first arrested, he said this, it was an ugly experience. It was the ultimate in losing face for the Chinese. I often wore handcuffs in times following my initial arrest, but that first time lingers most in my mind. It hurt me deeply being unable even to bid my dear wife goodbye. Now, there are many people who have experienced such similar things. We only know his situation in China because... Um, he, his case became known internationally. Even Billy Graham came to preach at his home church one time. And, and furthermore, when he died, uh, World Magazine uh, put together a, uh, a little article uh, about Pastor Lamb, which I have from 2013 when he died at the ripe old age of, of 88. I know my dad's watching 88 is not so old for you, but it is old for us, he died as, a, as an older man, and uh, not so with Stephen, however. Stephen was persecuted, died, and all, we can just assume that he was more of a, a younger man when he was, was martyred, right after he finished preaching. Wasn't taken away in handcuffs um, like Pastor Lamb was, um, but right after preaching his sermon. So, so really the question is, what is it that angered his listeners so much? What is it that angered them so much that they would take him out and throw stones at him until he breathed his last? Well, really what, what we've been looking at the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at Stephen's sermon. It all stems around these accusations. Chapter 6, verses 13 and 14. These are the things in which Stephen was accused of. It says, Acts six thirteen. This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place, And the law. For we have heard him say this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And I have sought to tell you that the two major themes of Acts chapter 7 are these it's the the holy place and the law. 
the temple and the law, the temple and the Torah. These are the false accusations that, that came upon him, and yet there was a, a bit of truth to that. The, the, the whole thing, that Jesus did say that this temple would be destroyed. And Jesus did mention that worship is no longer about a place, but about a person. That we don't have to worship here or in Mount Gerizim, but we worship in spirit and in truth. So there is truth about this, this holy place that Jews held so dear would be not important in the religion of Jesus. Also, the law. Um, the, the Jews held the law so high. And it is true that, that Jesus fulfilled the law. So he fulfilled the sacrificial law. He is our high priest, so we don't need those things in the law anymore. And you can see these two themes mentioned here in verse 13 and 14. In verse 13, the holy place and the law. There, there it is, the, the holy place. This is the, the, the place where the temple sat. The, the place where they had their sins forgiven. When they brought their sacrifices in the holy of holies and, and the law. And we see in verse 14, them being mentioned as well. We see mentioned here that uh, we'll destroy this place, this place, because they were right there in the temple ground. And maybe they were saying about this place right, right here, right in the temple, right beyond that veil. So what Stephen is talking about, that place is going to be done away with. And then changing the, the customs of Moses. Indeed, the, the customs of Moses have been changed uh, because Jesus fulfilled the law. And so what we've done is we worked through the, the first half of the sermon to the Sanhedrin. And primarily the emphasis in this first half has been about the holy place. And uh, in the second half today, we're going to be looking at the law and how Stephen addresses the law. But, but the idea is this about the holy place. When, when Stephen just surveyed the history of Israel, he said, in surveying the history of Israel, we find God working in places that aren't this holy place, that aren't even in Jerusalem, that aren't even in Israel. When God was forming his nation, he worked among the Jews. He calling, my first point here was Abraham from living in Mesopotamia. And you can even see there, Mesopotamia is far away from Jerusalem. And then when Abraham traveled to the promised land, he wasn't even in Jerusalem. but was in places like Shechem and Bethel and Ai. And then we saw the patriarchs. And they, were traveled, they traveled down into Egypt. So they weren't even staying, the patriarchs. We're talking Abraham. We're talking Jacob. And Joseph, and all of the sons of Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin, all of them were in Egypt. In fact, Egypt was their salvation. They weren't even saved in Jerusalem. They were saved in Jerusalem from the plague. And then last week, we saw the working of, of God in the life of Moses, the great lawgiver. He was in Egypt, of course, when he was born. Remember when he was a, a little child, laid there in the, the reeds of the Nile River. Uh, then we find Moses' exile, right? Once he killed that Egyptian, he had to flee for his life, and he fled to Midian, which was way down there, near the Red Sea. And he was there for, for 40 years. And then when God appeared to him, Moses calling, he was at the same place. It was in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. And here it is. Here's the point so far, is that when God works, he works outside of this place, this holy place, far from Jerusalem, so Stephen was saying, you Jews who hold this special bond to this holy place, and yet you refuse to believe in Jesus because he says worship isn't bound to temple. And you refuse to believe in Jesus, the fulfillment of the law. Please realize, O oh Jews, that God has often worked in foreign lands. That, that's really his, his message. Well, this morning, as we continue to look at Moses, we're going to look at him being rejected 
by the people. That is my one point this morning, because it's all the time we really have to, to get through, but it's a, it's a good point. We're going to see Moses being rejected. Moses, the giver of the law, was rejected. They rejected him, and they rejected the law as well. And so when you look at the history of Israel, not only is God working in these different places, but when it comes to the law, the, the, the people of Israel historically didn't like Moses very much. And they rejected him and turned against him as great as he was. And even they turned against the law as well. This you hold so high. In the history of Israel, Israel hasn't ever kept the law. Here we go, 35. This Moses, he's coming coming off of that story about Moses appearing at the, the burning bush. Stephen says, this Moses, whom they rejected, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He's just lifting up Moses. said, this man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This Moses, this is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. It's just lifting up how great this Moses was. And then, verse 39, our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. In their hearts they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses, who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your God, Rephan, the images that you made to worship. And I will send you into exile beyond Babylon we see Stephen mentioning the rejection of Moses, which is the sixth point of his sermon as I have pulled it out right there in verse 35. This Moses whom they rejected, saying, who made you a, a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. In other words, verse 35 says that this, Moses was God's man. He the man, as they say, Right? The angel appeared to him in the burning bush. We talked about that last week. Stephen brought it up in verse 30. It was the burning bush. The Lord told Moses his plan for his life, that he would be the one who would come and deliver Israel out from the bondage of slavery. He expands upon it. Listen to Exodus chapter 3, verse 7 through 10. The Lord said to Moses, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed me. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. That was the call, the life of Moses, that he would redeem Israel out of their life of slavery. He was the one that would be sent, both ruler and redeemer. But the people of Israel rejected him. 
this Moses whom they rejected. Saying, oh, who are you that, that you're a ruler and a judge over us? They never wanted Moses. Stephen continues this wonderful ministry of Jesus, of, of Moses, by showing how great he was. This man was a great man, but ultimately then was rejected. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. Great summary of the, the life of Moses, the one who led them out of, of slavery. He performed wonders and signs. Three places, in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. So the, in Egypt is a reference to the ten plagues. When, uh, when uh, Moses was there and turning the Nile water into blood. And when Moses was bringing frogs and gnats and insects upon the land. And when Moses predicted the pestilence that would come upon the livestock and the boils that would come upon the Egyptian, telling beforehand of the hail and the locusts that would come and destroy the crops, and describing the pitch blackness and darkness that would be on every place in Egypt except for in Goshen where the Jews lived. And finally, Moses told of the death of the firstborn throughout the land of Egypt. And this is described in the book of Exodus as the strong hand of the Lord. Yet Moses was the human instrument of the strong hand of the Lord working his signs and wonders in Egypt. Just reminding these people, the Sanhedrin, Stephen is, about, about how Moses was this great man, and yet he was rejected. This hero of yours right, was rejected in his day. It was demonstrated in the Red Sea. When the Jews had been delivered out of Egypt, right? Remember, the Egyptians had a change of heart, and they came to pursue them. And, and the Jews had gone to this cul-de-sac, if you will, like this, this place where they're kind of hemmed in, and the Egyptians were bearing down on them. And then God put a cloud between them for some time for the night. And then in the day, he said, stretch out your staff, Moses. He stretched out his staff and the Red Sea opened up. And the Jews passed through on dry land. And then when the Egyptians tried to follow, there was um, mud in their tires. And they were caught and unable to move. And so Moses again lifted his staff, stretched it out. And the sea came back upon the Egyptians in the Red Sea. And they all drowned. Working wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea. And thirdly, even in the wilderness. For 40 years, he worked his signs and wonders. Moses made bitter water sweet so that a million people could drink. Moses told the Israelites how bread would come down for heaven and how to gather it, when to gather it, not to gather it on the Sabbath, right? But to collect it the day before twice. And so it will all provide. And for 40 years, God was providing manna in the wilderness. Moses brought water out of a rock on several occasions to give people enough drink there in that dry and barren desert. Moses did all of this, and the people rejected him. But Moses was more than a miracle worker, as verse 36 says. He was also a prophet. He was also a preacher. You can read his sermons in Deuteronomy. This is the Moses, verse 37, who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is from Deuteronomy, when Moses was giving his final sermons to the people of Israel, pleading that they would obey. In Deuteronomy 18, Moses told of another prophet that would rise up in Israel to lead them. Who's that other prophet? Sunday school answer? It's Jesus, of course. This other prophet, Jesus, would, 
would rise up. And the, the command in Deuteronomy is that you should listen to this prophet. When this prophet rises up, listen to him. Deuteronomy 18.15, as Gary read, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It's to him that you shall listen. Moses saying, hey, this other prophet's come along, and when he rises up, listen to him. And the Lord said, I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command them. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Remember when Jesus said, if you believed Moses, you would believe me in John chapter 5? It's because Moses spoke of Jesus rising up, and he's going to speak the words of God, and you need to listen to him. Otherwise, it won't go well with you. Uh, This is the same thing that Peter brought up in Acts chapter 3. We've seen this before. Moses said, the Lord God, verse 22, Acts 3, 22, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. I mean, just just sense that. They they knew this, right? They, They knew what Deuteronomy was saying. They knew what Moses said. When that prophet comes, you listen to him. If not, you will be destroyed from among the people. And yet here he's preaching these people who didn't listen to him. And Moses' words are condemning them that you should be destroyed, is what he is saying. Here it is. Moses, their hero, prophesied of another prophet that they would obey him. But that's the very thing they refused to do. They refused to listen to Jesus. They're refusing to listen to Stephen, his spokesman. Really, it's one of the most terrifying things that can take place in your life. You refuse to listen to Jesus. Jesus has the words of life. But not to listen to him means your death. I mean, people, I mean, think about it, right? God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, right? You believe in him, you're going to have life. What if you don't believe him? You're not getting life. It's the, the clear implication. It's a clear, explicit teaching, Jesus said in John chapter 3, right? He does not believe is condemned already because he does not believe in jesus but think think about jesus right you need to listen to last week easter it's the resurrection and the resurrection is still true this morning as it was last morning it's true last morning as much as it was that first resurrection morning those who trust in jesus will rise again to life john 11 25 i am the resurrection and the life whoever believes in me though he die yet shall he live and to refuse the call of jesus To refuse to trust his sacrifice means your death. So church family, believe in Jesus. Trust in the prophet who Moses prophesied about. This wasn't the only prophet that Moses told us about. It wasn't only prophecy that Moses did, rather. Um, He gave Israel the, the word of God. So not only did he speak about Jesus coming, but he also had the word of God. Uh, Look at verse 38. It says, This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angels spoke to him Mount Sinai and with our fathers. In other words, this is the Moses who was with you all. He lived and dwelt among you all. He received living oracles to give to us. He received living oracles. That is reference, I think, to the law to the living words of God. But they also have reference to, to all the words the Lord has spoke 
to Moses in the wilderness to guide and direct. Living oracles, right? The words from God are living. They are active. These are the oracles that are coming from God that Moses had. And Moses, see, had this incredible opportunity to commune with the Lord. He would talk with God so much that his face would glow. So that when he came down from the mountain where he talked with God, the skin of his face shone so much that people were, were scared of him. Said, oh, like not, not necessarily a ghost, but wow, that looks weird, Moses. It just Moses was communing with God. So he would often put a veil over, him, over his face as the glory of God faded away. Such was the power of these living oracles that Moses had. And here's the amazing thing. With all this opportunity, Moses speaking with God, talking with Him up on the mountain. Israel rebelled against Moses. And they rebelled against the Lord. We see that in verse 39. It's a big but, if you will, even though it doesn't say but. could say, but our fathers refused to obey Him. But rather they thrust Him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt. See, they often turned to Egypt when things were bad. Um, when they were hungry, Exodus 16.3, they, they said, Oh, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, where we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. If you have brought us out in this wilderness to kill us and this whole assembly with, hang, with hunger. So when it got hard, they, they wanted to go back to Egypt. In their hearts, they turned to Egypt rather than trusting God what he had for them in the promised land. And yet God still provided them manna. And then when they were thirsty, they said to Moses, Exodus 17, verse 3, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? In other words, better be back where the Nile was, where all this water was in abundance. Let's go back to Egypt. God provided them with water from the rock. But they were always looking back. In their hearts, they turned to Egypt. And they were tired of the manna. They longed for the days in Egypt. Listen to their grumbling, Numbers 11, Verse 4 through 6. Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. No, I don't think our children are saying that so much. The onions and the leeks and the garlic. Oh, all that good stuff we had. I don't think so. But they were, right? Maybe it shows how desperate they were. They're in the wilderness longing for these sorts of things. Probably because the manna was a little tasteless, you know. But our strength has dried up, they said. There's nothing at all but manna to look at. So they were grumbling and complaining. But God provided. God even provided them a feast that night. Here's quail. Eat to your heart's content if you really want it. But they're always looking back to Egypt. In their hearts, they, they turned to Egypt. It's an amazing thing that Moses is an amazing prophet. These people refused to obey him. And, and nowhere better is that scene and illustrated in the episode of the golden calf. Um, Stephen describes it in verse 40 and, and 41. They turned to Egypt. They said to Aaron, verse 40, Make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. You remember, Moses had gone up on the mountain and he'd been up there 40 days. And um, his delaying and coming back, like 40 days is a long time, relatively, whatever. They thought it was a long time and the people grew impatient. 
And so they, they said, oh, well, we need some sort of God. This Moses, we do not know what's become of him. So let's make a calf. Aaron, why don't you, you're the leader, you're, you're his brother, make a calf for us. And they made this calf and they worshipped it and they sacrificed idol to it. And they were rejoicing in the works of the hands. They're dancing about, oh, we got the idol. This is a, we got our own idol. Um, worshipping this thing. Moses, when he heard about it, he came down from the mountain and he heard the singing. He's talking with Joshua. What, what, what's going on? I think it's dancing. What is it? Right? And he comes down and there's this big idol fest. And they're rejoicing at this idol. And Moses was so bad that he had the, the commandments in his hand and he smashed them down. Right? When people give you, uh, some famous sports figure gives you an autograph. I mean, those things are precious. And here were the tablets of God written by the hand of God. And Moses was so angry that he just shattered them. Moses couldn't believe the extent of the rebellion. In light of all they'd seen, the wonders in Egypt, the repeated plagues come on the Egyptians. But the Israelites were spared. The the splitting of the Red Sea, the constant provision of food and drink in the barren wilderness, all it took was 40 days. And in 40 days, they were in rebellion against the Lord, making and worshiping an idol. Contrary to all that God had commanded them to do, they built an idol. Contrary to the second commandment, hear it. Exodus 20, verse 4 and 5. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above, that's on earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. And you shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation. Now, now when this was first read to Israel... You can read about it right there after the Ten Commandments in Exodus 24. Exodus 20 is the Ten Commandments, and afterwards there's some more law. After it's read in Exodus 24 and verse 3 and verse 7, Israel rejoiced, and the answer with one voice. They said, oh, this is such a good law. All that the word of the Lord has spoken, we will do. We will be obedient. And then here it is, just a few chapters later. I don't know the time difference, but, okay, Moses goes up another 40 days. And now here, 40 days later, they're like idol worshiping. They're like breaking the very thing that they said that they would do. They'd failed at the most basic level in 40 days. So these Jews of Stephen's day who, who lifted high the law, like, oh, this is a pristine law, realized that the first people who received the law didn't keep it so well. And then we see God's response in verse 42 and 43. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, did you bring me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness of the house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your God, Rephan, the images that you made to worship, and I will send you exile beyond Babylon. C.S. Lewis once wrote, he said, there are two types of people in this world. Those who say to God, your will be done. And those to whom God says, your will be done. And uh, what an appropriate picture that is. How clearly this describes that God turned away from Israel. And God gave them to their own desires. So they pursued after other gods. And this was, right, they turned away from God. And so God turned away from them. says, if that's what you want, you have at it. 
Can I just say this? Lest we think that we're immune to such things, church family, realize that we are flesh and blood like they are. And if they could turn in 40 days, the proud one says, I would never do that. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12 says, these things happen as an example for us. Take heed lest you fall. And realize there's nothing that keeps us from the same but God's merciful keeping of us. Isn't that what we sang today? He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so, He will hold me fast. It's not because we're so good. It's because of God's grace that will hold us fast. Amos 5 is uh, the quote right here that, that Stephen brings up, really summarize the life of Israel. This came hundreds of years after this whole episode, but kind of looking back on Israel and, and what took place. They went to different forms of worship. They offered up sacrifices to their own gods rather than sacrifices to the Lord. It, but it's interesting here. If you look in, in verse 42, did you bring me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness of the house of Israel? Yeah. They were sacrificing to God, but their hearts weren't there. They had these other gods. They were like doing their church duty, but at home they were doing something else. And in this case, yes, they were sacrificing, but they also, what they do? They pursued other gods. They took up the tent of Moloch. This is the god of the Amorites who required child sacrifice. We don't know specific examples of child sacrifice. May well have been. Worshipping Refin. This is the, the god of Saturn. This is the star god. You're worshipping this Saturn planet, this star out there. You're, you're worshipping this star. You're worshipping this god that requires child sacrifice. You're making idols to worship. Contrary to all the law, contrary to all that Moses had given you. And this was a move of Israel away from the Lord. So the Lord moved away from Israel. And he said, um, in fact, I'm going to send you away. I'm going to send you deep into exile beyond Babylon. This was the Israel to whom Stephen was, was preaching, right? They, they lifted high the law of God, but they never kept it. I think in many ways they had this romantic view of Moses. Right? That, that all was wonderful with him. But the people of Israel right, really rejected Moses. Just they rejected the law. And that's what Stephen's trying to show them. You people who uphold the law, you've never really kept the law. You haven't kept the law. Your ancestors haven't kept the law. It's in name only. You've not obeyed. In fact, next week, Lord willing, we're going to see how Stephen finishes up his sermon. Look at his very last verse in his sermon, verse 53. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. And then it says, when they heard these things, they were enraged. They ground their teeth. How are you, dare me, that I don't keep the law? And I just say, are you the same? Are you the same? Do you hold up the Bible? Do you fight for the Bible? Do you fight for morality? Do you, do you, you fight for the right things? Yes, it's good, right? We need to stand where God stands. We need to say this. But yet, in your home, it's different with the conversations of your family. It's different in the things you watch and you read. You're merely denying the very things you're professing to hold up. That's what Stephen was doing. That, that's... That's why they got so angry is because Jesus, Stephen was 
pointing out their sin. You're saying, you guys uphold the law? Well, <laughs> since the beginning, they've always right, resisted Moses. And you guys also are resisting Moses. So in your life, right, are you holding up the Bible not only in word, but also in deed? That's really the, the warning to us. That's really the application here as he gets to the law. Are we just like the Jews? Are we just transgressing the law as well? Are, are we just saying one thing with our mouth, but are we living something else? And that's the great warning. It's really the great warning to us. And if that is you, I just call you to repent and trust in Christ. It's the only hope. He has transformed the law, changed the customs of Moses. It means that we, we believe in him and he counts us righteous before him. And he will change us and conform us into his image. And will help us, walk us through sanctification, that process, that painful, that slow process. That's slowly more and more becoming like him. So the Bible speaks about the warning here. Or do you, you're going to get angry when someone points out how you are being a hypocrite. Saying one thing and doing another. And I just pray that this might not be us. That, that Stephen can't preach that message to Rock Valley Bible Church. Because we love God's word and we're trusting it and believing it. So let's pray together. God may confront us now. And Father, even I would pray as we think about Stephen confronting the Jews with their hero, Moses. Who they upheld and would fight for and die for and even sacrifice in accordance with what he said. And yet their hearts were far from you. As Isaiah said, in vain do they worship me, teaching us doctrines, the precepts of men. Uh, I think of the Pharisees who went around and told others and laid up heavy burdens on others according to the law of God, but they themselves were unwilling to lift even a finger. How they tried all the externalities to accuse Jesus of breaking the Sabbath. Uh, yet they themselves were breaking your heart not extending mercy, God, which is at the heart of, of all law-keeping. And so, Father, I pray that you would search our hearts and help us to deal with you. God, I pray that we might not just go from this place really just thinking about, oh, all is good and all is well, God, but realize that, God, things may not be well. And in those hearts where things are not well, God, I pray the hound of heaven would sink deep into those hearts, God, where you would and bring forth repentance God that we might realize that we we are just like the Israelites we don't keep your law God, and yet in Christ God the, the law is kept for us and in that we can rejoice Father so help us and deal with us this day we pray in Christ's name Amen I do hope to finish next week Lord willing if not, it's a great sermon. We can continue to dwell on these, these topics.